I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Open the pod bay doors now. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the most you ever lost in the contest? Go ahead. Make my day. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this latest episode of Black Hole Cinema with myself, Tony Black, hosting this week. Dan Taylor has taken a week off. Uh, actually, he'll be off next week as well. He's uh, having a bit of a rest, otherwise known as going out and partying in Devon, like the young whippersnapper he is. <laughs> uh, so I'm, uh, I'm left to host today, which is a nice change. And uh, with me, I have a solo guest today, and that's the, um, the ever-legendary Mr. Leslie Byron Pitt. Hello, sir. How you doing? You right? Yes, I'm, I'm fine. You're, you're a bit worse for wear, I believe. Well, yes, indeed. We are recording just after I've come back from uh, a friend's stag do. So, to say a little bit worse, whereas to um, say the least, um, well, that's it. Sounds like a good night, to be fair. <laughs> if that's the case, it's got to be done. It's got to be done. Today, we're going to discuss uh, just four films um, for your delectation. We're going to be talking about Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella. Uh, as Les has seen that, and we're going to be discussing Sergei Bodrov's Seventh Son, which is the adaptation of A Spook's Apprentice, the uh, the Spook's Apprentice, the well-known um, series of books. We've also got Get Hard, the new Will Ferrell, Kevin Hart combo, which is interesting enough, uh, so to speak. And uh, we have um, John Wright's uh, little British sci-fi film, Robot Overlords, which... Uh, I've had a look at. So, uh, and we're going to have a little bit of discussion about another few things in between. But let's start as we mean to go on. I'm going to briefly talk about Seventh Son. I'm going to leave this place soon. I knew this day would come. Be wise. Be careful. Everything you ever need is inside you, my son. I've been searching for you, Mr. Ward. You are the seventh son of a seventh son. An order of noble knights combating the forces of darkness. It says here that there are a thousand of you. They all died. We are all that's left. 
The Seventh Son is the adaptation of the novel by Joseph Delaney called The Spook's Apprentice, directed by Sergei Bodrov and starring Jeff Bridges, Alicia Vikander and Julianne Moore, which basically features the story of, setting the uh, medieval times, the story of Thomas Ward, who is the, a seventh son of a seventh son, and his adventures as he trains to be the apprentice of the spook, so played by Jeff Bridges. Now, uh, are you familiar with this one, Les? Have you, have you heard of this lately? Well, I've seen, there's, there, um, basically in one of the cinemas that's nearby me, there is a massive billboard, and it had Jeff Bridges and Julianne Moore. And I was like, uh, what? What is this? <laughs> it looked like a January bargain bin type film that just seemed to, it, it looks like a thing. It exists. <laughs> I think that's the, best, that's the only thing I can really say about it. That's really the best kind of review of this film, really. It exists. It was, um, you know, infamously, it's been, it's been on the shelf for something like two years. It was made like two years ago and... Originally, it was meant to obviously to, it was meant to trigger, I think, a, a proper franchise for the actual uh, Spooks Apprentice books, which I've not read, but apparently are very, very big, very, very well known. And the idea, obviously, was to launch that in you know your Harry Potter stylistings, your, your stylistics, you know your Hunger Games and all this, and get it moving and get it off in the franchise. The only problem with that is that they've made a shocking film, <laughs> right? And it's they really have. You know, if you look at the the poster, it might seem like it's um, Julianne Moore and and Jeff Bridges, and it's like a big Lebowski reunion or something like that, but Lork's a lordy. It's it's really not. Well, I, for a start, they don't really get a scene together, or they get barely much of a scene together. So, And they're both playing characters who are just completely so far away from the dude and, and those guys as you could possibly imagine. This is like, it's just like the, the most sort of industrial machine style of, of fantasy movie making you'll ever encounter. There, there really isn't much to say about it. It's, it's, it's immensely bland for something that's got lots of CGI there, and it's got you know two attractive young heroes played by Ben Barnes and, and Alicia Vikander, and Alicia Vikander as well. He's actually probably an up and coming star because she was quite good in Ex Machina, as we reviewed, you know. And she's you know yeah. she's she's up and coming, but it, this is just so so bland. It's untrue. And then you've got Jeff Bridges, who's doing oh my, his accent in this. Honestly, it is it is beyond belief. It's it's just it's he's almost monosyllabic because he's basically just going. <laughs> I'm not even exaggerating. That's all he does throughout the film. Right, <laughs> you're there going. He, he does turn up in some rubbish. He does. He? he does. He does. He was like in. Uh, did you see R.I.P.D. No, oh. no I, this is the thing, much like Seventh Son, every so often you see certain films, and it's not because I go by the, um, I go by a kind of measurement saying, I if I had the chance, I had the, I had the time and everything, I would watch every film under the sun. Mm. Unfortunately, being human, I cannot. <laughs> so therefore, there are certain things where you do have to, you know, pick your time and the, you know the, the Jeff Daniels. I'm um, I'm trying to build an extension for my house films. I kind of ignore. Yeah. Um, and this sounds like it's one of them. Or even Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Oh, Jeff Daniels. Jeff Bridges. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, well, you know, you Bill Paxton, Bill Pullman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're all the same. They're all Bills. They're all Jeffs. <laughs> 
But it's yeah, exactly. And you're quite right too, really. You know, you've 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 got your head screwed on with that. I, I you know, as the maxim goes for the show, I see him, so you don't have to, and you really don't have to see Seventh Son. It's just that, it's that really sort of bland. You know, it's got an epic score by Marco Beltrami that's all strings and violins and all this kind of stuff, and it's got you know Julianne Moore hamming it up. I, I'm quite amused at the fact that both the best actress and best actor at this year's Oscars within a month of each other have both given their best and possibly worst performances at once. Right. It's, it's quite, it's quite funny. <laughs> but that's the same with, um, Halle Berry with Catwoman and Monster's Ball. wasn't mm. it? Yeah. I think they were the same year, weren't they? Yeah. You do, you do think, I mean, you know, they, the thing is with this, it, it was the whole thing of uh, both of these films, both, um, Seventh Son and Jupiter Ascending were delayed. And you can't help but think that Eddie Redmayne and Julianne Moore must have both gone, oh, shit. It's like, you know, <laughs> why do they have to release them now? Because this, she's, you know, she's not, Julianne Moore's never terrible, but she's just, she just hams it up something stupid and she's got nothing to work with. You have to remember as well, you know, you've got the you've got these guys that we're watching films that we absolutely love, and you know, you've got Jeff Bridges and you've got GM Wall, and like you said, I don't, I imagine if I went to watch this, they wouldn't be terrible in the sense of bad actors, mm. but I would turn around and I would imagine it would be something that is really haphazard in its direction of them as actors. Mm as opposed to anything else. I think one thing I've I've kind of been following and thinking to myself in the last couple of weeks before you know, since I've last been on been on our podcast is the idea of of direction. Mm. We talk we, when we talk about direction, we talk about direction in the sense of um obviously we talk about it visually and everything. That's not really the case. It's putting everything together. It's the management of everyone during pre-production and then after in post-production as well as you know your your sort of david lynch's who've got their visionary aspects Mm. to them and one of the things you realize when you see films like this is you've got producers or executives that are you know that are shoving it out as quickly as possible in order to try and make a quick buck or to do whatever their oversight seeing everything you may have a director that probably not too interested in or he's got certain ideas and they can't do certain things and you know they're in issues with it and then they've got a whole you know they've got actors who are possibly big personalities or not Mm. not to say that these guys are will give the director and producer issues but they're big personalities they they do things in a certain way and everything else like that so you know there's a lot of things that go into the mix and this is not to turn around and say that you know jeff bridges you know if i ever met him you know and or anything else like that but this is not to say that he is being an arsehole Mm. (laughs) but this is this is a guy that you know he knows his stuff he knows his stuff on a set and maybe he he's got certain things that he wants to put to the table and they just haven't worked out Mm. in the in the way that he wants and I'm, i'm i'm basically trying to be not so much a devil's advocate here but you know i think it's so easy for us we all you know in podcasts and every podcast does it they love they love laying into guys mm. they love laying into films and everything else like that and it's just one of those things where i'm just going yeah but you know there's 
there's elements into it that, that, that may have been an issue. So, you know. it, it, it's a good point because, you know, you, you're talking about something like this that's basically just fodder for the masses. It's not offensive. You know, it's not the kind of film that is, is hateful in any way or has been made to, you know, really piss people off or stir up things. And it's just, you know, it's, it's nothing like that. So there's nothing... This kind of film doesn't get you angry. It's just so pointless. You, you think, well, what was the 100 million spent for? Because there's there's no creative, you know, interest to this. There's no sort of, mm. there's no technique really. It's just stuff on the screen. It's very boring characters, boring writing. Jeff, da- Jeff, Jeff Daniels, I'm saying it now, Jeff Daniels, Jeff Bridges, just, um, Jeff Bridges just, you know, gruffing his way through a role. And like you say, for whatever reason, he may, there may have been more on the page or more than the intent was intended. And let's hope there was. But yeah, it's just the kind of film that, it would. It, it, it's just not worth your time. It, it really mm. isn't. It's not exciting enough to be worth it. It's not dramatic enough to be worth it. It's not funny enough to be worth it. It doesn't do anything except exist on a screen. Mm. I mean, the interesting thing that you've you've mentioned is it's fodder for the masses. Mm. That's a great way of describing how a lot of films kind of come to us. Mm. But the interesting thing about something like Seventh Seventh Son is it's quite obvious to me as someone who yes i know i haven't really seen it but it's coming out in march and this is quite a dead month yeah very um usually it's quite dead in the first three three months it's it's got it's got interesting because now we're we're, we're realizing that january can be a place to push prestige Mm. and february's you know usually is usually quite dead march is quite dead so it is just it does seem to me that this is a film to try and get stuff out there in order to get stuff out there when they can. Mm. I'm, I mean, like I kind of mentioned at the beginning, this isn't something for me. This isn't something that I would turn around and go, yeah, I would try and see in any sort of interest. Um, the fantasy genre for me is difficult in the first place. You, you've got to kind of be kind of placed in it and mm. got to have some sort of investment in there. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I think that when you see something like Lord of the Rings, one of the reasons why Lord of the Rings works is the fans were already up and willing to watch it. And it went beyond that. And mm. it took loads more people, loads more people in. Um, with something like Samson, I don't know, I, I always find always find it difficult. I've, I think this is a, a kind of Percy Jackson thing on where these things are still relatively popular and still in the public eye at this moment in time Mm. and it's being put out there because obviously it can be put out there you've mentioned already that it was made two years ago so why was it delayed? Well this is the question, presumably it was the fact that they knew once they'd made it that there wasn't anything that was going to make any kind of dent and they just realised right, well we can't put this against big films because it's just going to die. And maybe it's just a consequence of the fact that they just really didn't know where to place it. They sat it on the shelf. Who knows? I mean, it's surprising really that it hasn't come out in another dead month earlier. I think it was supposed to be um, January, December, January, 2013 to 2014 when it originally came out. But yeah, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, little kids might mildly pass, be passingly entertained by, but anyone who's looking for any kind of substance or drama or, excitement this isn't it this isn't worth your time so 
Seventh Son will uh, be out for uh, a few weeks at, uh, at your local Cineworld Multiplex or Odeon or wherever. So uh, if you are of the mind, check it out. Join us. Okay, we're just going to move on. Before we get to another review, we're going to have a quick chat about the first of one of two trailers that came out this week. Funnily enough, it's been quite a, a big week for big movie uh, trailers in uh, the, both of a similar genre, actually. But to start off with, we're going to discuss the teaser trailer for the new James Bond film, Spectre. I always knew death would wear a familiar face, but not yours. Ah! I was at a meeting recently and your name came up. I'm flattered London is still talking about me. It wasn't MI6. You are a kite dancing in a hurricane, Mr. Bond. Welcome, James. It's been a long time. And finally, here we are. Spectre. I like saying it like that. Spectre. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna be quite honest here. Everyone has lost their shit over this, haven't they? They really have. <laughs> I mean, I was just about to say, what do you, what did you think of it? Because I I watched it and I just it, 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 I just thought it was phenomenal. What did you think? It's a decent cheese trailer for what it is. Mm. Um, I'm not the biggest Bond fan, and this isn't me saying negative things about Bond. I think GoldenEye was an amazing cinematic experience for me when I was 12, because I hit 12. It was a 12 certificate, mm. and going to see it in Perfect. THX. Um, yeah, it, you know, so you, for me, Bond is what you make of it. Your favourite Bond is usually your first Bond that you see. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. In, ter- in terms of actors... So for me, Pierce Brosnan, I've got a soft spot for, and I think he's, um, I think he's, an underrated Bond. And also, looking at something like um, Casino Royale, I think Daniel Craig's very good as well. One thing I loved is that they haven't got rid of Quantum of Solace. Mm. I think Quantum of Solace is um, a very maligned film. Is I understand why it's got its issues, and yes, it there is an a moment of incoherence in it and moments of incoherence in it. But I do think as a revenge film, it works. So the idea that they're trying to bring these things together and just make it a little bit more coherent for someone like Daniel Craig, all up for, I think there is no surprise. And this is why you can tell a teaser trailer works. It has its moments and Everyone's talking, they're you know, trying to do their shot and shot breakdowns, and that's one of the reasons why I hate so many movie blogs. But one thing I absolutely love is when I was watching, um, after it came out, and I was watching my Twitter feed, everyone was saying the same thing. Mm. You're a kite dancing in the yes. hurricane. Yes, yes, yeah. That's one of the reasons why we go and watch movies. Mm. When you hear a line like that, and it rolls off the tongue well, and... I think that's fantastic. I, you know, people, it's a cheesy line if it was said badly. Mm. Just that, that, that moment and how it's placed in the trailer, that's why we go and watch movies. Absolutely. It, you know, it, it, it brings you in. And that's one thing. I think Craig is a, a better Bond than people allow him to be. Mm. And um, I really think this is going to be quite interesting. Mm. Um, 
a big fan of I was a big fan of Skyfall. I know people that really hate it, old school Bond fans that mm, really hate it. Yeah. And I can understand why. But this is really, really interesting. For me, anyway. I mean, I'm sure when I watch it and I'm sure people who have listened to the podcast realise go, Oh god, this guy just poo poos on everything. <laughs> <laughs> no. But it'll be very interesting to see what comes from this. But I'm someone who watches teaser trailers and I go, uh, I'm going to try and watch it once and then I'll, if it's at the cinema, I'll see mm. it again. But I, I don't want to keep replaying it. I actually liked what I saw from it. Just enough, just a, uh, you know, something to whet the appetite. Well, I mean, I, I'm, pro- I'm kind of the opposite in a sense because I, I'm the biggest Bond fan ever. I think I'm one of the biggest Bond fans ever. I, I'm obsessed with it in many ways. So I've I must have watched more this. Than the, more than enough people that will argue that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm, I'm, I'm one of millions. But yeah, definitely. And there's, there, there's a lot of us, I think, out there with Bond who are really, really into it. So I've watched this trailer ridiculous amounts of times now, and I've, I've done my analysing of it, and I've come up with my theories. And that's, I think, that's what I really liked about it because it would have been so easy to throw together a teaser trailer that was just basically Daniel Craig kicking a bit of ass. Cause I'm sure they've edited. I mean, I know they're still filming and it's, you know, it's been a very tight turnaround by all accounts for Spectre, but mm. they, they could have easily thrown together a few scenes of Daniel Craig skiing, being shot at, kicking someone's ass easily, put some heavy music over it, put some, put the bond theme over it. Bang. You're done. People would have been excited, but this teases this film on a different level in a way I haven't really seen a Bond film do. It makes it about a mystery, a central Bondian mystery, I think, even more than any of these other films have done. There's always been that sort of layered in, I think, in Craig's films to an extent. Certainly was in Skyfall. There was this underlying mystery of, of his parentage and his childhood, which wonderfully I loved about Skyfall. He never said a word about. Everything we learned about Bond came from everybody else. He never said a thing about his childhood. And that, that was wonderfully done. And I think I think that trend is going to carry on. It, it makes sense that Sam Mendes was so into doing this because he's clearly doing this very much as a kind of, if not direct sequel to Skyfall, but a, a very much thematic continuation of that film. Because there's obvious direct links to it. You know, MI6 still has been blown up from, from Javier Bardem's villain. You know, Skyfall is explicitly mentioned, the fire. That, re- that directly yeah. results as part of this plot. So it, it's very much seguing into this. And as you say, it's tying back into Quantum from Quantum of Solace with the appearance of Jesper Christensen, uh, which is brilliant. It's a stroke of genius, in my opinion, again. So it, it will tie together all of Craig's films. And if, if, if rumours are to be believed, this is part one of a two-parter, um, which potentially oh, wow. would... Cons- yeah. If, if the rumours are true and Christoph Waltz is playing Blofeld... There, and then Spectre potentially will, will roll on into maybe the next film as a, as another, as a threat. I mean, it would make sense given they're tapping into the old style, you know, continuing threat thing. Although I don't necessarily I, think Waltz will be Bob Blofeld. I think there's another twist to this yet, but, um, I love, I like the idea that if they are trying to merge everything together, I think it was the nature of these films, things kind of, you know, nature of the fact that we are in the age of what my favourite um, podcasts, the Mamo podcasts, call the mega franchise, mm. in which we are watching franchises, but like beyond anything. So you know, even even now on silent, there's on on my screen currently is Guardians of the Galaxy, and that's a that is the mega franchise. Oh god, yeah, it's, it's Marvel, but it's not just Marvel on 
campaign, it's the comic books, it's the TV and everything. And one of the things I, I like is I think they are now looking at Bond as a kind of mega franchise and actually utilizing things really well. So instead, of, when you hear something like Quantum of Solace, it's not just the title of um, the obscure book now. What they're turning around and going, there was a uh, group called Quantum in that film. Now we have a group called Spectre. And the idea that maybe they can might try and merge these things together a little bit more, I think is a, is a decent thing. Mm. God, you know, it sounds ridiculous. And I, you know, I, you always have to put your hand up and go, we have no idea at this moment in time. We are very lowly podcasters at this moment in time making speculations. But I do like the idea of that to be something that happens. Mm. Definitely. It would, it would be really nice to see that happen because Bond certainly has the pedigree and the, and the scope. You know, it's a franchise that has never, ever lost money. In fact, it's made, it's, you know, the, the billions it's made is, is you know, com- combined more than probably any other franchise, bar maybe Star Wars, potentially. So it's... Even Thunderball? That film's rubbish. Well, <laughs> yeah, even Thunderball, with its very boring last hour of, of, <laughs> of just swimming. I know it was the first time they ever did it, but come on. Yeah. Oh. It, yeah, no, I, I do agree in the last era there. But, but yes, it's... Um, My dad's favourite, by the way. Oh, all dads love Thunderball. <laughs> all men <laughs> over 40 love Thunderball. And I, I think Thunderball's possibly the sexiest 60s Bond film. But it, the, only the first hour of it is really entertaining. And then it just drain, literally drains under its own weight, I think. But, yeah. but yes, I think that um, Spectre does stand to be... You know, it's going to take a lot to really match the level of hype and excitement and, and genuine critical respect that Skyfall gained. But I think I think it's got a good chance of doing it. And I think that um, I think all from what this trailer points out anyway, the um, the essential points are there. So uh, it will be very exciting to see that um, the full length trailer, I dare say, towards the middle or end of the summer. So, moving on then, we've, we'll uh, go back to our reviewing. And uh, the next up, this is over to you, Les, to talk about Kenneth Branagh's Disney version of Cinderella. I want to tell you a secret that will see you through all the trials that life can offer. Have courage and be kind. You'll merely be your stepmother, and you'll have two lovely sisters to keep you company. So I'll know as far away as I may be that you'll be safe. Wouldn't you prefer to eat when all the work is done, Ella? Yes, stepmother. Oh, you needn't call me that. Madam will do. Cinderwench. Dirty Ella. <laughs> Cinderella. <laughs> yeah, so Sir Kenneth Branagh, you know, that no, well-known director of Peter's Friends. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, his main thing. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we, we joke. One of the reasons why he's, he's, he's done quite well as a director recently is because of Four, obviously. Mm-hmm depending on which viewers know what so but you know peter's friends much to do about nothing that was you know he was very more into shakespeare and obviously he did like mary shelley shelley's frankenstein he has turned around and 2013 he has done a live action adaptation of cinderella now we all know the story possibly um and when Mm. i say we all know the story you know everyone knows their story depending on what where they've got the source from 
Now, it's a Disney film, and most people have got the source from Disney, so therefore, what's really happened is it's kind of like a live adaptation of the Disney film. There is moments of it that look very much like the Disney film. There is moments... Uh, there's aspects of set design that is very much from that uh, from that Disney 1950s animated feature. Not a problem at all. It's, you know, that's fine. That's not an issue. I think the big thing for me as a film, something that I wouldn't really have watched at this point in time as someone who's actually trying to limit the amount of times he goes to cinemas to watch films that he wouldn't be too interested in. It's a bit bland. Mm, Um, It's one of these things where you can tell that Disney have put money towards it. They've put, there is a lot of great set design and visual production in terms of what's in the, and I apologize for saying this because it's a very pretentious film term, mise-en-scene. But there doesn't seem to be any reason why, anyone would need to watch this other than the fact that you would probably want to distract your kids for a little while. Now, the interesting thing for me currently is the last week since it's been released, I've read up on a couple of articles. Um, Tasha Robinson for The Dissolve made an interesting article. Uh, A critic, uh, a very strong feminist critic and friend, Marianne Johnson, has um, also um, posted her review on um, Flick Philosopher. And their arguments are really interesting because they're coming from a very strong, critical, feminist point of view. I don't think this film needs that. And I'm sure that one or two people who would think differently would consider me as mansplaining, as... um, they now say mansplaining. Yeah. <laughs> I've not heard that one before. Yeah, I, I don't see the point in arguing this sort of aspect um, towards something which is a certain type of traditional fairy tale. It is a live adaptation of a an old fifties feature, and yes, you could turn around and say maybe it could be more subversive. I don't necessarily think that is the best way to go with something like Cinderella, necessarily. It is something to turn around, and it is a kid's fairy tale. Whether or not the message in there is a good one could be argued, but the argument of the fairy tale, the the message it's trying trying to portray, is the idea of the courage to be nice. And maybe it's just the fact that I've worked in customer service too long, but the courage to be nice is lost on people these days so um i generally i generally think that it's not too bad i think there's something slightly cynical from someone who's very cynical themselves coming from uh, a lot of critics about this and i think that's the wrong way to look at it i think it's not a great film because it's bland as opposed to feminist leanings so to speak i could be very wrong and i'm sure I'm, i'd be happy to hold my hand up and listen to people who say otherwise but i don't know i think it's it's problematic in the same way that snow white and the huntsman is problematic in which that the fairest of them all is the the evil stepmother mm. <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, the the downton abbey actress um is it uh i think it's lily white lily james her name is 
Uh, sorry, Lily James. I apologise. She does a lovely, breathless kind of performance, but she doesn't really stand out in any in any real way. Nor does um, the Prince Charming, who's once again very handsome, but doesn't stand out in any way. I think the real M- um, MVP of the the piece is Kate Blanchett. She's amazing. She's always brilliant. She she she's great usually in things that aren't so good. You know, she elevates yeah. most things. I I love Kate Blanchett. I'm a massive fan. Yeah. What and I think Branagh knows this. Yeah. Well, one thing one thing I was going to ask actually because I read I, I listened to um, Kenneth Branagh's interview on um, Kermode and Mayo the other day. Yeah. I don't know if you listened to it, but one of the things he said was that when he read the script originally, what what was lacking was a sense of knowing kind of. You're winking to the audience that we're, we're the postmodern element of of knowing that this this classic fairy tale and trying to do something a little bit more subversive with it now is that anywhere in the finished product? Do you think, or is there any kind of you know feeling of that that he's managed to get in no, there? I don't believe so at all. I think it's a very straight edge um, adaptation of the Disney version of the movie. I mean. I go back to what I was saying about Blanche. I think Branagh knows the strengths and Blanche is so good. The first moment we see her as an evil, uh, as the evil stepmother, she is this really, it's a mid shot that turns and she turns around and it's almost as if they've got like a, an, an, like a spotlight Iris shot on her as she looks like a, a 50 star. Now, she mm. always has oh. had that kind of classical look yeah. about, but you know she's shot under you know shot shot under a veil, and she's got this fantastic fifties look about her. And she just doesn't go out of style in any shape or form, but you know there's a retro leaning to it, and she looks amazing. And that kind of continues all the way through. If this was subversive, you would have you would have gained a lot more from Cinderella. There is a sense of urgency at times. But I don't think it's anything, it's not a, once again, I go back to Snow White and the Huntsman, which is a film that I didn't particularly enjoy. I found it a bit joyless. But one of the things I found about the film is how they portrayed Snow White and what they did as her and placing her as a warrior with this uh, a certain slight, um, certain sense of agency. I don't feel, I don't feel that's the exact same with Cinderella. She, she stands up for herself when she needs to stand up for herself at the point in time, but I don't think it's, I don't think there's anything too subversive about this. I think it is made for single digit aged kids. And I find it really weird and really cynical that there's a whole bunch of adults going, well, it's not feminist enough. You know, being nice isn't good enough. Mm. It's like, mm, well, in all honesty, it, considering the age it's the age of the the children is made for the parents can turn around and go you know it's a fairy tale deal with the fact that real life is a bit rubbish <laughs> <laughs> tough love yeah yeah cinderella is out for the next few will be out for the next few weeks more than likely over the easter holidays so uh, that's one to take you down take your take a little one take your girlfriend check it out <laughs> I have to see her again. Are you looking for this?
let's briefly talk about the uh, the UK the UK box office as of last weekend, which is uh, which is interesting because it's uh, we haven't done the box office for a few weeks actually, so we're um, we're in new territory right now. And number ten is Statham in Wild Card, which uh, <laughs> has has made a um, a princely fifty two thousand pounds to date <laughs> and considering it made something like three thousand five hundred dollars in america it means it's now a bomb here and abroad <laughs> yeah so that's in at number 10 expect that to drop out fairly fast and number nine still clinging on in there after a, a month and a half that's 50 shades of gray which is made now 34 million pounds and is closing on the 34 and a half million so it might might make that before it drops out the number 10 uh spot oh i thought Sorry. it would have made more I also find it really interesting now that um, Sam Taylor Johnson have dropped, has dropped out. Yes. The, the sequels. And I also find it really interesting. There's a really great Vanity Fair article that talks briefly. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. ...about the making of, and you're seeing two British women. One's a writer, obviously that's E.L. James, and um, the director. Not so much for now, but two completely different people coming together to try and make a movie with the fans at heart and it's you know i do urge anyone that has that you know that you know i'm dependent on this kind of podcast and the people that listen to this podcast but i do urge people to try and find that um that vanity fair article because it shows you what happens when fandom and making an actual film kind of combine and come together yeah it is interesting and it will be interesting to see how 50 50 shades darker turns out i would Bet money on the fact that Jamie Dornan is regretting his decision to star in this now. 
really. I mean, it's go, it's going to be, you know, it, it'll, it will make, it's made him a much more famous man, but not necessarily for all the right reasons. And from what I've heard, he hates Dakota Johnson with a passion and the feelings mutual. So I think it's going to be a very, <laughs> it's going to be a very interesting sequel uh, to, by the sounds of it, a rather uninteresting film. So still Alice is in at number eight. Uh, actually, well, it's in his third week. It's made one and a half million. So, not much, but it's at least broken the top ten because that's a that's a very good film that deserves applause. At number seven, Sweet Francais, which is the in its second week with uh, which is the film that uh, Dan Taylor absolutely loved <laughs> last week. <laughs> he had a great time, and that was that's made one point three million. Uh, again, that more than likely, like Still Alice, won't be around for much longer, but it's made a slight dent. At number six in its second week, Run All Night. Uh, the Liam Neeson film, which hasn't taken much at all, that's just made just over 1.5 million. That's that's been a very very average gross by the look of it, uh, which doesn't necessarily surprise me because I don't really know who that's going to appeal to except dads who like Michael Mann films. Possibly mm. Michael Mann films done not as good as Michael Mann, <laughs> really. Yeah, because that was that was a, not a bad. It's not like taken two, taken three levels of Neeson bad, but it wasn't his best at all, obviously. At number five, in at, in at number five, The Gunman, which has made 405000 which is more than it ever deserved, quite frankly, because it is enormously dull. And I think might hopefully put a lid on this Jerry action hero uh, genre, which seems to have cropped up. At number four, we have Focus, which is now in its fourth week, the Will Smith, Margot Robbie, rom- romantic con caper comedy drama thing which actually has made 6.5 million actually i liked focus even though it's i've heard some real slatings of it but i thought it was i thought it was fun i thought it was a blast of fun i thought it was will smith being will smith again and enjoying himself so and number three is the second best very exotic very married old hotel (laughs) which uh, we of course reviewed on the last time you were on which has made 13.5 13.5 million and you were absolutely right Les when you said that was going to do well because uh, it's clearly hit a chord with with the older set and you know as I said I I liked second I liked it I you know it was harmless nice well acted amiable fun so uh, I I am glad that's done well I am glad that's done well I don't think we need the third best exotic marigold hotel to be quite honest <laughs> which will probably happen now there's a great Commode is really pushing at this moment in time. Um, he was he mentioned it on the his the other podcast for Radio Four, the the business of film. Yes, which um, I, I recommend. I've been reading. I've been listening to that a little bit. It's very good. It's it's very good. That the the idea that there there is a a market, the grey market, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because now everyone's kind of catching up when I remember working at a cinema and seeing things like Ladies of Lavender make a ton of money. Uh, mm. and, and, you know, because that's what happens. We are having an, an older generation uh, come up, come up upon us and they don't want to watch Guardians of the Galaxy or Marvel films or whatever the next Die Hard or whatever franchise sequence uh, sequels are going on. They do want to watch certain things like that and um, that doesn't surprise me. It doesn't, it, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest. I may not want to watch it. I may not, I may not find the value of it yet. Um, <laughs> a few more years. <laughs> exactly. But um, I think... Th- it's 
it doesn't surprise me that it's making its money. I think it's really, really adamant. It hits a chord, and you know, it, it knows what it's going for. It's it, you know, in a similar way, at number two is Insurgent, the Divergent series, and that's just going for the opposite end of the scale, but doing it not doing it well in terms of creative filmmaking, but hitting the market well. That's made that's in that's in um, its first week. That's made two point nine million straight away, and I dare say it will make a little bit more. Well, I don't think it will necessarily. It won't be a Fifty Shades of Grey level hit, but it might make as much as uh, Marigold Hotel has, possibly, mm. possibly. But realistically, however, if once mm. all the kids go and see Insurgent. No one else is going to bother because it's not for anyone else. It really isn't. Um, it's a very, it's a very dull film. It is a dull film. Yeah, just not really doing anything that we haven't seen before in in various other ways. And it's like you say, just dull, just completely dull. But but as I say, tapping into a market that's there and will will watch this stuff. So it's unsurprising it's at number two. But at number one to finish is Home, the animated, in, in at new, the animated film, which has taken six million straight away. And again, I, I didn't see Home, it wasn't reviewed on the podcast, uh, but again, it's one for the kiddies, it will last over Easter. So it's, uh, again, no no surprise. The animated films, very rarely do, do they not do well, you know, which which makes sense, because that, like I say, you take, you take the little ones to see it. SpongeBob SquarePants, no doubt, will do good money um, <laughs> this weekend. But yeah, that's the uh, that's the box office top ten. That's where we are. Now we're going to, however, move on to another uh, new release, which is the very low budget Brit sci-fi robot overlords. People of Earth, do, do not be alarmed. We wish you no harm. Robots never lie. Citizens. Robot of Lords, he's directed by John Wright, who did Grabbers previously. Oh, um, really? Yes, yes, he did. He did Grabbers, mm. which I haven't seen, but I've heard a lot about that, actually. Big fan of it. It was really Ooh. good fun. Richard Cole's really good, isn't it? Well, interestingly enough, this isn't quite necessarily the same kind of thing. Robot Overlords basically is set in a slightly future hence in which a robot alien race have invaded the planet and subjugated all humanity by locking them in their homes with tracking devices on their necks to the point where they're not allowed to leave. And if they do leave their homes, they will be shot by a robot that appears and gives them 10 seconds to go back indoors and it will incinerate them otherwise. And their claim is that they are going to research humanity. And once they're finished and they find out what they want to know, they will leave. Obviously most people don't believe them. Ben Kingsley works as a aid to the aliens in the sense of being a kind of a seemingly a quite a charitable guy who feeds the people locked in their homes and is allowed to wander about and has authorization codes to do that, he's got an AOP, AOP duck accent, um, and his name's Smythe. Ah, he, he talks like that all the way through. He's Yorkshireman, but he's the most robotic Yorkshireman ever, and it's possibly intentional. But it's yet again not a role where Ben Kingsley is just doing a silly accent, and it, 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 for no, no other reason. It's very, 
it focuses around a family, which is Gillian Anderson's the mom, and there are some very young, bland things who are the kids. There is the quite sort of angry young man. Basically, the dad has disappeared uh, years ago and uh, seems to have been uh, either killed or kidnapped by the aliens. The young, uh, his young son, is you know quite brooding and. And, and everything he's got his best friend he's a joker he's the yeah he's the jokey one but the annoying one he's got the hot sister uh obviously who the that likes the other guy the guy and you know they uh, can't, can't get it on and then there is the young lad from across the street whose dad who's orphaned because his dad went outside and went come on aliens i'll take you all on and gets shot for his trouble so they take him in and he turns out to be a bit of a whiz it is cliche central number one basically and Wants to be kind of, I think I described it as EastEnders meets Battlestar Galactica in a review. Okay. Yeah, which it's very, very lo-fi, low budget. There's not much money involved. It's kind of, it's a bit like if you had Cylons walking around in, you know, Albert Square, really. It's all very sort of kitchen sink, low, you know, like kind of, you know, hey, dialogue. They're either Cockneys or they're Yorkshire people. And then the problem with that is, though, when you've got Gillian Anderson as the mum, doesn't really ring true because Gillian Anderson is now one of these actresses who she's a bit too sort of iconic to just be a normal working class mother. You know, she's, she's Dana Scully. She's, you know, that, that tart from the fall, you know, it's like, she's just, she's just like, she's just, she doesn't really do kitchen sink, Gillian Anderson. And if she does, she doesn't quite fit. She's a guy. I love her. I mean, I, I grew up watching that woman and she, I love it a bit, but she does, doesn't quite fit this role and she's not really in much of it. And it's mainly Ben Kingsley, because lo and behold, Ben Kingsley's actually a bit of a bad guy. And the kids go on a plucky mission to... Oh, yeah, shocker. The kids go on a plucky, a plucky mission to try and find their dad. And in the end, you know, they amazingly, they discover that these alien tracking devices that, you know, monitor them can be stopped by an electrical charge, which is a bit of a surprise. No one else has figured that out, seemingly, in three years. It's just... It's, it's just very... It feels like a TV movie that you get on sci-fi that is just going through certain motions. It's got some fairly decent ideas, but mm. and it's got a very, very, very weird use of a... The, the alien robot overlord is a midget with a, with a human face who speaks with a helium voice. And it's very odd. And he walks around, and, and unfortunately, John Wright clearly, like I say, didn't have any money, so he's filming it all in like very provincial sort of local sort of seaside towns and things like that and putting in some very dodgy CGI. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just one of those things where you just wish that he'd have been given more money for a start and it just had maybe been a lot less obvious, cliched, and at times, if I'm honest, quite dull to actually work, have worth merit because the, something like this is great to see. It's great to see a, a British filmmaker making something. And you know, I read an interview with him not so long back and he's gleefully a, a, admitting his influences of things like Spielberg and, you know, Zemeckis and all this stuff. And he wants to make these kind of British kind of style films, but I don't know if it works in a, in a kitchen sink, realistic British way trying to do that stuff. Or if it does, it just it needs a little bit more money and, and creativity that isn't so obvious. So I didn't really take to it, and I thought it was, to an extent, a missed opportunity, really. But mm. he's clearly someone, if Grabbers is good, he's clearly someone who's got some talent. Well, Grabbers works because the CGI isn't too bad, but the nature of the film kind of tends to the fact that it doesn't matter. Mm. Um, it is a film in which aliens invade and 
they instead of like signs where uh, spoiler water can, de- oh, can help destroy them. God, don't it's get alcohol. Me you know, it, it, it's all it's set in Ireland, so there's a not so much stereotypical, but we all know that there's a, there's an aspect of you you go to Ireland and if you drink, people do like to drink there in the same way that here in England people do like to drink here, and it kind of works for what it needs to work for. Mm. This looks like he's been given a bit more in terms of stars and whatnot, but I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. I don't think you really sold it for me in terms no. of what it's about, especially as a kids' movie. Yeah. Um, well, this is the whole thing. On the on the face of it, you'd think it's like you know, it's that kind of super eight kind of thing. It's it's technically the kids are the leads, and they're facing this bigger external threat. But with with a film like that, they had the budget to really pull off the vision, and it was very much it very much did have a kind of Spielbergian feel to it. So you you know, you, it worked in that context, and it worked in the world it was in. In this case. And the, and the kids are entertaining. In all these films where the kids are front and centre and all you kind of Spielberg things, the kids are entertaining. In this case, they're not. You know, they're not entertaining. The problem is, as you said, grabbers didn't necessarily need the, the, the CGI. This does. So in order to, to realise this, this does really need to have some decent effects. And there are moments where it really doesn't. And you can really see it. And it just goes through the motions, and it's got a, a plot that is just—you've you've seen it before. It's just—it's cribbing from other things, and it's—it—it's it, not nearly as fun either, or as as in on in on the joke as it should be. You know, something like this—it's pulp B movie nonsense. You know, it should have been—it should be—it's eighty minutes, so it's not very long. It should have been eighty minutes of very tongue-in-cheek, knowing B movie silliness, and it takes itself far too seriously quite often for its own good. So it's just, it's a shame, really, because it had more potential to be a blast of, of nonsense, and it's just not really that fun to, to sit through. Interestingly enough, it's not really been released many places. I think, I think, I think it's only at View Cinemas, um, View Cinemas, so it's, it's, it's not out in your multiplexes. It will barely make a dent, I think, anywhere. And I think it will be quite honestly forgotten very fast, which... Mm. Is a bit of a shame because it would be. It's nice to see British filmmakers trying to make things that aren't just, you know, costume dramas or things about council estates. It's nice. <laughs> Urban sprawl. Yes, it makes a change, but unfortunately, they just need a little bit, a little bit more oomph and money behind them in order for it to work. So, yeah, Robot Overlords will be out. You'll be lucky to catch it anywhere, but yeah, see if you can see if you can find it. If you're very much a hardcore sci-fi fan, otherwise, wait till it's on Sci-Fi, the channel, and just watch it there. You reckon? Okay, let's switch gears and talk go back to our, our trailer talk. This time we're going to have a little chat about what we thought about the new trailer for the next Mission Impossible film, Mission Impossible 5, Rogue Nation. Ready or not, you Ethan, where are you? The syndicate is real. A rogue nation trained to do what we do. An anti-IMF. You want to bring down the syndicate? It's impossible. Desperate times. Desperate measures. Get your seatbelt on. You have to be down now! Oh my god!
So, did you uh, did you catch this, Les? What did you think? The interesting thing for me, in terms of Mission Impossible, is I just think Tom Cruise is a movie star. It sounds silly, <laughs> and it sounds really obvious, because we know he's a movie star. But we are now entering this, you know, world where it is, quote-unquote, easier to do sort of CGI stunts and to have actors who use who have insurance so to speak or have something in their contract or maybe you know maybe a, a double and whatnot there is something about Cruz knowing that it's him doing things that kind of gets you invigorated again mm. and even though that the plot isn't particularly that interesting um from what it seems like from the trailer it's Tom Cruise doing some crazy stuff that we haven't. It, it seems. It, it's, I'll tell you what it is. It seems like we haven't seen a a, a movie actor do that in a, do what he's doing in a long while. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I'm sure that I we've watched something where there was some really good physical st- stunts or whatnot. But there's something about that money shot mm. of the plane and seeing what happens in that that just gets you a little bit more elevated and a little bit more excited to see what's going to happen. Plus, it's Chris McCor- um, Christopher McCoy. Yes. And I'm a massive fan of Way of the mm. Gun. Mm. So I, I, I think there's going to be some interesting things going in there. Well, I mean, it's, everyone was, uh, you know, he was, he was tapped to do... do um, Wolverine at one point, wasn't he? And he was tapped to be involved in things like that. So Chris, Chris McQuarrie is one of those guys who, you know, he's very talented and he hasn't necessarily done as many things as he should have done. And the, uh, when, when it was announced that he was doing this, I was I was really buzzing because I was, you know, I liked Valkyrie, you know, with Tom Cruise in. That was a good film, mm. which which he did. So they've, they've worked together before and it's worked. And, I mean, Mission Impossible, I, I, I was saying this the other day, Mission Impossible for me is one of the better franchises in terms of consistency because I think really there's only been one duff Mission Impossible film and that was number two because they when they tried to make it, you know, Hong Kong cinema meets James Bond and it just was a bit wanky, quite honestly. <laughs> but the first one is, is a very, very good Hitchcockian style action thriller. Where, um, well, of course it is because it's Brian De Palma. It's Brian De Palma, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Third one, the third one is Alias the Movie, and I was a big fan of Alias the TV show, and it's basically Alias the Movie. And J.J. Abrams brought that style to it, so that was a lot of fun. The Ghost Protocol was was great because it, it like you say, it had that money shot as well with on the Burj Khalifa and all these things, and it was really sexy and dynamic and fun, you know. And and Brad Bird really nailed that. So it's a, it's a it's a a series that has a has some really really talented people who've directed each of these films. You know, all five have had really really talented directors, even though John Woo didn't get it right. It's um, a bit like Aliens. And yes, they, yeah, basically, they, yeah. they have to have someone which has a certain type of vision to things. Yeah, and and so as a franchise, it's very good actually, and it's better than people give it credit for. So I think, and the way again, in a similar way to Spectre, the fifth one. You know, it's tying certain certain things together, not necessarily from previous films, but it's bringing more of the characters who are in different films together. So now it's got Ving Rhames properly in it again. You know, even though he only had a cameo in the last one, and it, he's again he's alongside like Jeremy Renner who came into the last one, and Simon Pegg who came in from the third one, and then you've still got your new characters like Rebecca Ferguson and Alec Baldwin and and these guys. So it's it's nice that it, it's again it's it's honouring the franchise that's been there for twenty years and the characters involved. While 
You know, as, as you say, you do. I mean, the great thing about Mission Impossible is there's the same story almost every time. There, you guarantee there will be an IMF mole in this. There's an IMF mole in every single one, right? And in this, there, <laughs> there will be, or there'll be some kind of. In, I would put money on Alec Baldwin being the baddie at the end of this, right? Or some twist. There always will be, and that's that's. The, but you, and you know that's going to happen with with Mission Impossible. In fact, I'd be I'd be annoyed if it didn't. And you know, so yeah, the plot looks quite derivative. You know, it looks quite obvious, but it looks it looks fun. And that money shot, the whole point is they know exactly what they're doing with that. That's why that was at the front and center of the trailer. Him clinging onto that plane at the end. They know full well that you go into these now expecting some shit. Is crews really doing that? And and that's that's what you get. So I, I completely agree in the in the whole thing about Tom Cruise being somebody who's who's really grabbing you by that. And oh God, God, for a man who's fifty—I mean, Sean Penn was similar with the gunman. For a man who's fifty odd, he looks bloody good. It's—it's—it's mm. it's, it's a—I it's a, will never look that good, and I'm twenty years younger than him. <laughs> it's like it's just not fair. But yeah, I, I think I think it's going to be really good, and I think Chris McQuarrie will do something that's not only fun but also, you know, really kind of quite entertaining and clever for what it is. So that that comes out in July, I think, because they brought the release date up, haven't they? So. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll catch it then. So that's one to look out for. Okay, finally, we have our last review of, of, the, of the day, which is the Will Ferrell, Kevin Hart team-up, Get Hard. James King. Yes? You're under arrest for fraud and embezzlement. I have faith that the justice system will exonerate me. I sentence you to 10 years in a maximum security prison. Did he say 10 years? <laughs> My life is ruined. <laughs> because after 30 days, I'm going to prison. <laughs> It's not as bad as I've heard, is it? Hell yeah, it's bad. Teach me how to survive in prison the way you did. Tell me how you know I went to prison. Given your low economic status. Wait, what? Your perceived lack of college education. Lack of, okay. Statistically, you definitely went to prison. I'll see you tomorrow, convict. Now, I want to tell you a little story, Les, about when I went to this film. Okay. I went to this film, and all the way there, I'd been laughing at the title and thinking... Did they know they were calling the film Get Hard? Now, as it turns out, they did. They fully were in on the joke in the film. But uh, because I'm because I'm a very witty and urbane and sophisticated man, I went up to the cashier as I went to the cinema. <laughs> you know what's coming. I went there. I went to the cashier and I said, "I'll uh, I just I'd like to get hard, please." And, <laughs> and I can't. I laughed in my head. I laughed. I know exactly. It, I, I laughed in my head. <laughs> I, I put it on, on Facebook, at which point Matt Latham, who's a contributor, said that, yes, they probably heard that 50 times in that day and thought you were a prick. And I was like, yes, they more than likely did. Um, and I knew that, and I still laughed. And he looked at me and we did that kind of <laughs> chuckle as if to say, knob. And, then <laughs> and I went in there, and I laughed more at that joke that wasn't funny that I did than anything in that film. Because it's no surprise to say that it's not very good. We're not talking unfinished business levels of bad, okay, in terms of just a graveyard of comedy. But what unfinished business wasn't was offensive and hot and nasty and get hardies at times mm. because it's two central jokes because the whole story is Will Ferrell's this investment banker, super rich, getting married to Alison Brie who looks, she looks fucking brilliant in this admittedly, but she's a bitch. She's like a rich bitch, marrying him yeah. for his status and his money. And then he, uh, he he gets framed, basically, which is no shocker to to reveal. Gets framed for embezzlement or something like that. 
and he's sent to prison for for years to be for 10 years but he has 30 days to get his affairs in order so because he realizes he's he's terrified of prison he gets kevin hart who's this basically just a car wash valet guy who needs money in order to you know make more of his life he's got kids he's he's, he's married and because because he's black will ferrell assumes that he's been in prison so kevin hart when he off when he gives he offers to pay him like thirty grand to train him up for prison, he accepts it. So he has to blag his way knowing how to be a prisoner in order to train Will Ferrell. So the whole one of the jokes centers on the fact that because he's a black man, he obviously he's a criminal, right? Which offends me anyway, mm. even as a white man, right? <laughs> okay, he does. Mm. And then the other joke is that his terror is getting anally raped in prison, and he's terrified of gay of being gay and and homosexuality. So the two things that this film is taking a joke at is, you know, racism and homophobia. Now, call me a big old-fashioned stick in the mud, right? And somebody who has no sense of humour. But I'm sorry, I don't really find that funny. And, you know, this whole thing coasts on... The only people who are going to like this film are people who like Will Ferrell's usual man-child kind of thing, right? Which sometimes is good, sometimes is not good at all. And mm. Kevin Hart, who he's, at, he's crafting his own little niche somewhere between Eddie Murphy and Chris Tucker, you know. And I don't always like him in the films he's done, but he's he's better in this than than I've seen him in The Wedding Ringer or Bride Along, which I saw him recently. I, yeah. I liked him more in this, uh, and he, he does have potential to be to be a much much better in better things. But I just I, I laughed a couple of times. I'll, I'll confess that I did, but most of the time I was just sitting there thinking. This is just really, really wrong. And I, I, I wonder well, my, what you'd have thought, to be honest, Les. <laughs> well, my, my, my issue is I, I, there's been lots of talk. I've avoided Get Hard. You've not got hard? For many reasons. No, <laughs> not at all. Uh, <laughs> and one of the reasons why is I, I find Kevin's, um, Kevin Hart to be, he's not too bad in terms of stand-up. But he doesn't seem to be a presence on cinema that I'd be quite interested in. It's interesting that you say to me that he has he kind of fits between a niche of uh, how can I, of something like Eddie Murphy, because ultimately what seems to have happened since the the rise of Eddie Murphy and even to a point Richard Pryor, um, but even Richard Pryor kind of branched out a lot more, is just this. The idea of a certain type of black comedian mm. and a certain type of black comedian comedy mm. in, term, in, in, in terms of their films. Now, I think it's really interesting that you bring up the point that, yeah, because Kevin Hart is black, therefore he needs to be a thug. This is something that I've always find kind of dryly amusing in my own life. <laughs> because, of course, you know, being black, obviously these things happen and and also this is coming along the uh, coming along at the same time that Trevor Phillips has decided that um you know he's going to tell the truth about race and when mm. it comes to violent crime it, it mostly do, it goes to, to 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 black people and yes he's got the facts hasn't he because he's got these the these stats that are kind of swayed to, towards maybe inner city london as opposed to people as a whole this doesn't surprise me. It doesn't. I don't find it that interesting. I find it helps try and push. Instead of taking a mick out of stereotypes, I think it just try. It pushes stereotypes. I don't find it very. I don't. I remember watching the trailer. I don't find it very subversive. I'm not surprised that there's um, 
people such as yourself who are watching the movie and not find it very funny. I think they kind of missed the point of what could be funny about it, even though, of course, you know, comedy is very subjective. Mm. I always get really, I won't say annoyed, but I always get really frustrated with this sort of thing because obviously what seems to happen is with your Wayne's Brothers movies, late Wayne's Brothers as opposed to early Wayne's Brothers, and the like, you see the same things being reiterated re- again and again and again. It's never, never, it's it's never that interesting. One thing get one thing get get hard does, and it looks like it tries to do well in terms of the tra- once again, only can only speak from the trailer. But one thing it looks to try and do well is to turn around and say that Kevin Hart is not that kind of stereotypical person that you always see but on the flip side he has to be that stereotypical person mm. and it just it just kind of falls into very simple obvious traits you know even the poster is of you know kevin hart corn rowing his hair yeah and it's just like <sighs> corn rowing will farrell's hair and it, I, it's for me this stuff is just gets dull Mm. I have no problem with black people being villains or you know criminals or anything else like that. But we need to see more complexity, more yeah. agency, and you know more you know more when it comes to diversity, it needs to be more interesting in that sense as opposed to okay, well we're just going to put Kevin Hart in a whole bunch of things where he does you know does things that we all kind of think that we know people think about black people in terms of criminal and and hip-hop and everything else. I I find it dull. Well, it's... Well, yeah, and so you should. It's the cheapness of it that annoys me, really. It's it's the... Eaton Cohen, who, who directed it and wrote it, he, he, he... Again, I read something with him a while back, and he said... One of the things he said was this was really going to push the comedic envelope and be really subversive, and, you know, they were shocked by the kind of things they were making. Now, A, it doesn't, it doesn't do that. What... I wasn't... I'm not offended because I was shocked by anything, you know. It, it's mm. it's tasteless and crass, you know. There's one shot of a, of a very large, almost erect penis, you know, and things like that. But very briefly shot, yeah. and everyone went, oh. But it's like, it, it's not shocking in that sense. It, it's, an, it's shocking, it, it's offensive in the sense of the fact that it's so cheap and lazy and... N- it's tr- on the one hand, it's trying to convince you that it's it's subverting all these stereotypes, but it's playing into them quite obscenely at the same time, just to get a laugh. Like Will Ferrell dressing up as Lil Wayne in order to you know ingratiate himself with a, with a black crew, right? And going there and doing all the yo cracker and all this stuff kind of thing. And then you've got one scene where Kevin Hart's trying to train him up in a prison yard, right? Which is basically erected around his his, his, his tennis court. And he's he's playing different roles and playing out a scenario of three things. He's an angry black guy, right? And then he switches to be angry Mexican, homie. What are you saying, man? And he pulls his hand hat over his head and he's like, "What are you doing, man? What are you doing, man? It's Carlos." And then on the other hand, he then turns into the little the little gay uh, prison guy who who you know like you may have seen Prison Break where he latches onto the guy's pocket. And he, he pulls his pocket from inside out and he holds him and he goes, you're my bitch now, I'll leave him alone and all this. So he does all three of them in yeah. this, this five-minute sequence and Will Ferrell's in the middle going, I don't know what's going on. And you're there going, well, this is exactly the problem, right? This is exactly the kind of stereotype that people believe and play into and think exists out there. 
And this is doing nothing to stop that. And it, it didn't make me laugh. It just annoyed me. And it made me think, I, I just fundamentally disagree with the messages that this gives across. It's one thing to be, you know, politically incorrect, because that has its place and it can be funny, right, when it's done properly. But there's no satire in this. There's no element of, oh, we're making a point. This is just, uh, isn't a, you know, entitled 50-year-old white man pretending to be black funny? Isn't Kevin Hart being a down-on-his-heel black guy obviously being a criminal funny? No, it's not. Mm. That that's That's the point. And yes, like I said, there were a few cheap moments that I laughed beside myself, quite honestly. I was I was annoyed that I laughed. <laughs> I was like, I don't like mm. I laughed at that, but I did. But no, it's it's just it's just lazy. It's lazy and it's dull, like you said, and it's crass. And it's the it, again, it's fodder for the masses. It's the kind of thing that most people will laugh at because they don't think about the underlying point of the whole thing. They don't think of the underlying social conscience that something like this doesn't have. I I don't recommend it. I think it's I think it's cheap and crass and I think Will Ferrell's certainly done better and, and Kevin Hart is capable of better. So you know, get hard will be out for a while. You know, check your own conscience as to whether you're not or not you go and see it is my, is my advice. As your incarceration expert, this is my job to prepare you. We are about to simulate a prison life. That was intense, right? Actually I feel fine. What? You got a roll, Mayo. Who's Mayo? It's my gang name. It's short for mayonnaise. And that's about it. We're all done this time round. So uh, it just leaves me to thank Liz for uh, for coming on, even though he's he's felt a bit worse for wear. So I do appreciate it. Thank you. That's not a problem. I'm I'm I've really enjoyed I've really enjoyed it today. So yeah, all good. Lovely. You can uh, find Les on Twitter at uh, Afro and Film Viewer. And I believe you have a website as well, don't you, Liz? Yes, www.afrofilmviewer.com. Lovely. He, he puts up regular reviews and, uh, you know, film pieces on there, so it's very much worth a read, I recommend. So uh, do uh, do follow us on Twitter, as ever, Black Hole Cinema. I am Black Hole Writer. Um, give us a follow, uh, feedback, anything you want to say about the podcast, talk about anything we've we've mentioned, any recommendations for what you want to see in the future, or as always, just let us know, drop us a, drop us a, a note. Next week, we will be having, uh, for our sins, a Fast and Furious special <laughs> episode um, in which we'll be going through all the Fast and Furious films leading up to the uh, bonkers-sounding Fast and Furious 7. So that should be that should be a ride. Yeah? Oh, God. Thank you for that. Thank you for that contractual laugh, Les. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening. Thanks again to Les. No problem. And uh, we'll see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.